tēnā tātou e te iwi e kainamu atu nei ki te kōwhiringa pōti. Rapua te mengaro, huraina ngā muna, kemi he te māramatanga, hapaitia te mana pōti. Welcome to Mata with me, Mihingarangi Forbes, brought to you by Te Māngai Pāho and the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Joining me for this episode is ACT leader and Ngāti Rehia descendant David Seymour. And over the next half an hour, we'll discuss whakapapa, te triti, co-governance and David's vision for Aotearoa. E te uri o whakataha maunga, tēnā koe. Tēnā koe. Tell me, what is your vision for Aotearoa? It's a place where your efforts in life make a difference. You know, I think each of us have different goals and we should be able to flourish in, in ways that we choose. That means that you have a housing market where someone that basically does the right stuff through their life will end up with their own piece of Aotearoa. It means an education system where a kid who might be in a remote part of the country, might not have very rich parents, can find a place in their community where they can go and connect with knowledge that might send them to the best university in the world or maybe uh, become a, a doctor or, or whatever um, and it's also an economy where you can get an interesting high paying job where the amount of dollars and variation per hour of work uh, makes it worthwhile working in this country. Now if you have those things, uh, a housing market, an education system uh, and an economy along with making sure that it's safe uh, to do business, actually a good place to bring up kids, uh, then all of a sudden you'll find that people will do things that you don't anticipate and that's the beauty of a free society where government does the things that, that no one else can do and then lets people get on with it. Tēnā koe. Um, he Māori koe, he Māori ahau. we're both Māori. What makes being Māori special for you? Um, it's special just like all of my different uh, heritage. So, you know, some of my heritage is Scottish with a name like Seymour, some of it is English. Um, I think my dad's side, there's a few uh, Irish in there. And of course, there's also um, through the Ngāti Rehi Hapu, uh, a line which is Māori. Um, each of those are important to me because it's who I am. Uh, and I try to, uh, my best to, to be a good person, uh, bearing in mind that, you know, there's people that went before all those different strands leading up to this day. Hi. So you hail from Ngāti here, it's in the north. For those who don't know where it is, where is it? And, you know, what do you know about the people? Well, it's up the Waitangi River and the marae is Tofura. Um, my family discovered this uh, when I was quite a small child and over that time we've, we've gradually been making the effort to reconnect and I think there'll be a time when, probably not with the media following and so on, we, we actually will um, you know, go back, I, I hope, uh, to the marae and people have, have suggested that to us at different times. Um, so that, that will happen and it's a, it's a process that you know, probably 50 years ago you wouldn't have thought. Um, now I think it's it's quite a real thing. Um, and so, you know, I look forward to, to that gradual reconnection over time. Whakaro pai tēnā. In terms of Ngāti Rehia's place in history, do you think your people got a fair go? No, I don't think that um, just about anyone got a fair go um, in the 19th century. There were bad things that happened um, you know, pre-European arrival. There were bad things that happened post-European arrival. I think one of the things that marks New Zealand out, and by the way, there were bad things that happened to, to lots of different people. Um, and I think one thing- Around the world. Exactly, and, and sadly, that, that's the human condition. And I think it's really important to recognise that, that we're, we're all human, we all have um, challenges and, mm -hmm. and choices. But back to your question, um, you know, I think one of the things that sets New Zealand apart is the fact that we've been prepared to go through this quite extensive process over 30 
30 years um, of putting right um, the, the wrongs of the past. Kia whakatika nahapa o mua is something that I don't think many, I can't imagine Australia doing it. I can't imagine really many other countries forensically going through its history and putting right the wrongs of the past to the extent that To be that fair to our tupuna, uh, our rangatira, you know, they put in a fairly good contract in place called Te Tiriti. So you're a supporter of Ngāti, Ngāti Rehia having a treaty settlement mm. through Ngāhapu well, or Ngāpuhi? Yeah, well actually all, and, and uh, there's obviously very complex politics um, in the north which has made it so difficult to get a mandate and ultimately a mm. settlement in place and, and I don't claim to be an expert, only I wish it would go a no, bit but faster. You, but but you'll, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be happy for them when they, however they get through the oh, gate I think it's, oh, I think it's, I think it, look, it, you only have to look at what it's meant for Naitafu or Tainui, mm. actually really now just about every other iwi in the country, uh, to see how important it is that Ngāpuhi get there too. So, once they've settled, would you be supportive of someone from Ngātere here perhaps to be on a governance board for a Māori Health Authority or a um, Māori Education Authority? Well, potentially. I mean, if you look at what X philosophy is, and actually we've done this up north, you know, we've actually had um, partnership schools, kūrahoru, or charter schools, all the, as they're more frequently known, um, and they so are... So a Māori yeah. Health Authority, you'd yeah. have... You'd be supportive of one of your aunties or uncles running, being part of the governance board? Well, I certainly would never be in favour of uh, saying I support someone being in a government position because they're my family. That's, um, that's called nepotism. We don't do that. No, no, but, um, but here, on behalf mm. of Ngātere here, descendants would mm. be sitting on, say, a Māori health authority in the north that's mm. looking after the health outcomes for, mm. for your Relations. See, this is an, just it's a really worthwhile conversation. If you look at what um, Dame Anne Salmon's doing, people are interpreting the treaty as the entire state needing to be split into a partnership. Uh, we don't support the idea that there's a Ministry but of Health. I, and a, I'm going to bring you back though, because you support a historic treaty claim, and mm. you must acknowledge mm. that some breaches have happened. Mm. So, in the 160, 180 years that preceded mm. uh, the Treaty of Waitangi, do you accept that? Um, you know, Māori, people of the north, mm. uh, were, were hard done by, they were living, mm. they were impoverished, they'd lost mm. some land, they had some military mm. action against mm. them. Mm. Would it not make sense that they have uh, poorer outcomes today? Well, certainly there's, that's one of the impacts, but I just get back to your, so your, your previous question. So how, answer do you your previous question. how do you address it if so, that's one of the So impacts? the example I just gave is that you can have one state you know, I, I don't agree that the treaty didn't cede sovereignty and that state has kawanatanga and the way I look at that as a liberal, as a person who believes in limited government, is that the state should fund services and they should be provided, just like charter schools, um, at a more local level. So you can have a state that funds services to be delivered the way that people want in their area, but that's not just a Māori thing. Uh, you know, when we did charter schools there was also Pacific Advanced Senior School, there's also Rise Up, there were also charter schools that had no ethnic basis whatsoever. So I just want to be really clear in my answer to your question. Uh, would I like to see Ngāti Rehia um, have a partnership uh, with government in order to deliver certain services if they are delivered at a quality and return for taxpayer money that's equivalent to other potential providers? Yeah, I don't see why they shouldn't be in the mix. But should there be some people inserted into positions purely because of who they are and the entire state divided into two under the guise of a treaty partnership? Uh, no, I, I don't agree with that. So are you opposed to co-governance or not? I can't quite work it out because you say that yeah. you are, are opposed to it but yet we're having this conversation and you don't seem 
to be opposed. Mm. No, well, it, it's a worthwhile discussion. I'm grateful for the, the opportunity to discuss this at length because I don't think that we get the honest, healthy debate that we need. So, for example, um, where I now reside in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, uh, we have had um, you know, a, a settlement that was very complex. Mm. Uh, obviously, many, many hapu have claims around the Auckland region yep. um, and are interlapping, and some of them have quite nasty history. There's also, um, you know, a million and something uh, non maori who quite like walking up the volcanic cones at the weekend. Mm -hmm. So how was the uh, Tipuna Mongo Authority uh, created? Well, it, it was a creative solution um, to a very difficult situation. I don't think it would have worked to have given back the cones or the volcano's uh, fee simple. Uh, that would have created conflict between hapu and probably also with a lot of the people who now live around and walk up the mountains. So on the other hand, um, the system that's been put in place, notwithstanding some, some conflicts, and there's some things I think they've done wrong, like I, I think you should be able to drive up Mangafau, I think it's a real shame, but nevertheless, by and large, it's been a success. Um, that's an example of specific people with a specific grievance over a specific piece of property. You could say the same about the Waikato River Authority, um, you could say the same about the Uruweras, although that is a much so, messier so situation. So we're talking about mm. historical grievances there that mm. you can deal with, but in mm. terms of Māori health, for example, mm. or Māori mm. education authority, you're mm. not supportive of that, of Māori having mm. something separate? No, and, and the difference is that all of those uh, public services have been formed in a democratic society after 1840. It's exactly the same with Three right. Waters. And, and Māori I are just 16% of the population, so uh, that's, I, your, that's your argument. Uh, no, I believe that everybody who is a human who is born or legally immigrates mm. to this country has the same rights and duties. I believe that applies to everybody here and that those resources should be governed in a democratic fashion. But as we said in the previous discussion, that doesn't mean that you can't devolve services See, to that, health providers, to charter schools. It's interesting because you're so demanding the national, that national co-governs the country with you and you're just 12% of the in the polls. Isn't that hypocritical? Uh, no, because the difference is that we put ourselves up here as human beings based on our ideas that anybody can vote for. We don't put ourselves up saying, because of who my ancestors are, I have a right to have a role. You can choose to vote for ACT and Mihi, I hope you will give your party vote to because. ACT. Um, but no, don't laugh, as a, you might change your mind in the next few weeks. Hey, um, I might change my mind in the next 20 minutes, who knows? I'll keep trying. Because the parallel that you just tried to draw with, with the greatest respect is, is a silly one. Um, our objection is to discrimination uh, based on your ancestry uh, when it comes to your participation in political it's affairs. based on te tiriti, which is a contract which is different to any other human being in Aotearoa because they didn't have a contract. Um, no, I, I think people have a right to specific property. Everyone has a right to property under a treaty which gives the same rights and duties, that gives self-determination over your taonga. However, uh, it's not true that you should forever in a day have a different right to sit at certain tables to govern certain entities because of your ancestry. This is a democracy. That's what the treaty did. That's what it did. It wasn't, it did, there's no end date on Te Tiriti. It was an arrangement between the Queen and Ngārangatira Māori and as you said, all those things that you just said, there was no end date. Well, I don't believe that that is what the treaty delivered. And second of all, let's just pretend for a moment that you're right about that. Where is the example of a society anywhere in history where giving people different rights and duties in the political realm 
not different property rights to traditional property, but different rights and duties forever and a day based on their ancestry has yep. been a success. There is, you, you give me one example of a successful country that's it gone down that path. It has nothing to do with ethnicities, it's a contract. And, and you're the party who says that you're the only party that cares about property rights and I, and I assumed and that's, why, and that's why we up, uphold uh, the treaty settlements, but uh, not the treaty and not the essence of it. I just want to move well, on. Well, that's that's well. I don't uphold your two. version of it. I okay. think you've got the treaty uh, wrong, and I think that your version of how home. your version of how the world should be has no successful parallel anywhere in the world. Under Article Two of Te Tiriti, the Queen guarantees rangatiratanga over homes, lands, and taonga. The Waitangi Tribunal has also found Māori have rights and interests in water bodies. Who do you believe owns water? I believe that all New Zealanders own water and that you can get an allocation to use it under the resource management laws of the day. We can talk about how that should work. Should we have more markets and tradable rights? So should we have an allocation under the Resource Management Act for 35-year permits, which we have now, yep. or the Natural Built Environment Act, which gives 10-year permits, which is totally unworkable, by the way. But you don't start from the basis that you own something um, purely because the Waitangi Tribunal said so. You've also got to bear in mind the rest of New Zealand has a right to talk about what our future should be and we should be looking at what works around the world for all people to rise up as well as what the Waitangi Tribunal Can you tell says. me where the law is that all New Zealanders own water and customary right to water was extinguished? Well, it's pretty straightforward, right? If you can demonstrate that you have a customary right, then, of course, you have that specific right. But if you're talking about a wholesale right, regardless of your connection to a particular piece of land, your use of it, your traditional use in the last period, under the water allocation law that we have today, uh, then that's a very different proposition. Well, that's a very different law than when the treaty was signed as well, the water allocation um, law, and that, that, that brings a whole lot of questions around, you know, the fairness of it, the grandparenting of it and stuff. But I wondered, so when Groundswell says they own the water on their farms and threaten, you know, come get it at your peril, are you saying they're wrong? Well, first of all, I, I don't support anybody um, who makes uses that kind of language. I, I think that's wrong. I think we need an honest, healthy debate about our constitutional future, and I'm, as we're having now, which I really appreciate and enjoy. Um, however, I just make the point that A, I, I don't think your interpretation of what the treaty delivers is correct, but B, if it was, where is the historic precedent? Where is the example? Anywhere in 100,000 years of human history, any part of the planet, I'll, I'll give you wide scope, mm. explain to me where this kind of idea that you inherit political rights to be part oh, no, of governing a country... I'm just working on this, in this country on that treaty, that's what we're talking about. So, yeah. um, but, so but do, so do so think so about do, what the consequences I, I'm are likely to be. I'm just trying to work out, did, did you say that Māori did have customary right when they signed the treaty or not? I can't work out. Has it been extinguished anywhere? Well, clearly the water rights that we have today exist in a legal framework, uh, which for the most part is the Resource Management Act. And Sorry, in 1840. So are you saying that Māori did have those rights because everyone owns the water, but they were extinguished at some time? Well, they're, con they're connected to particular pieces of land. So if you have a farm, yeah. you've got the right to irrigate a certain amount of land. Obviously, we've done our best uh, throughout the last 30 okay. years to, okay. so, to reallocate. So let, let's use that as an example. So you've got the farm that has the use of the water right yeah. on it. So that'll be why Ngaitahu and um, Waikato have left the water rights part of their claims to the side for now because, um, you know, that, that because... 1.3 million of acres of their land was stolen in the Waikato yeah. and a whole lot of riverways were in there. So how will you deal 
with those water claims going forward? Because if the numbers are right, this is going to be your job. Mm. Well, let's see that. No one's actually voted yet, but Just, thanks well, for how that. would you do it? Because, yeah, you know, it's been enough. nearly 30 years, them yeah. waiting now. Yeah, I, I think we need to be clear that uh, nobody owns water beyond the water allocation laws that we have today, and those laws must be designed to make sure that water, which is one of the most valuable things there is in New Zealand, goes to its highest and best use, good for climate, good for environment, good for food production good for human welfare. That's what a democratic society looks like. Um, I've heard you, and you've used it already today, the phrase ngā tikanga katori te tahi. What does that mean? Same rights and duties. And where did, where did you get that from? Oh, it's from Article 3 of the Te Reo version of Te Tiriti. Do you think that you're using that in its full you know, in its full interpretation? Well, it goes on to say the same rights and duties as citizens of England is what everybody would have. I'm going to Nicola um, Willis it here. <laughs> um, it's been, this is it here, Ngā tikanga katori te tahi, and it's mm. been taken out of mm. the third article. Mm. Um, it says, the full, the full part of it is, in consideration thereafter, Her Majesty the Queen of England extends to the native, natives of New Zealand her royal protection and parts to them, as you say, all the rights and privileges of British subjects. Do you think that you've got the intention of her kōrero right there? Yeah, I do, because I know that the only way uh, that a society can function is if everyone has the rule of law and the same rights and duties. And second of all, the idea that uh, she was extending it to Māori but not to other people who would live in New Zealand, I don't think is plausible. If it is, then there's a much harder question that you need to answer, which is what are the rights and duties of non-Māori in New Zealand? Because you know, there's millions of people here. We need to find a way to get on what, and we want to be a prosperous society. About Tetereti is the preamble. What does the preamble say? Well, if you're going to get me on here for 99 questions. No, no, uh, no, because you have basically mm. cropped mm. one, two, three, four, five words out mm. of the whole Tetereti mm. and you're mm. using it for political gain. Uh, so well, what, is no, the pre actually, what does the Queen mean? What are her intentions? What has she written in the preamble? Well, she said that she wanted to give protection to the native people and that she wanted yeah. them to, to, to do well and to flourish and that's what I want today. I but think it's not in lieu that. of. It's not in lieu of. That it comes after she's mm. promised rangatiratanga over their lands, their resources, their kainga. Mm. It comes after that. It's an extra. It's an added bit. But what you're doing is you're using it as the only bit. You're saying we're all equal. Well, well that's untrue. I mean, if you follow me around the around the country, uh, I always refer to Articles One, Two, and Three. In fact, if you heard my corridor at Waitangi this year, uh, I went through key parts of each of the three. Articles. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, you're, you're being a little bit unfair. Uh, I have actually engaged with this topic uh, in, I, I, in great detail. I'm not detail. saying you haven't. Mm. I'm saying I think that you're misrepresenting it because mm. it's in addition to the rights that Māori already had. It's an addition. It's not uh, in I, lieu which of. I, which I she's saying, basically, she's saying that a whole lot of people had turned up and they were living lawlessly and mm. she really wanted to put in, in a government and a whole mm. lot of laws and mm. stuff to protect British subjects, mm. and also she was extending that protection mm. to Māori. Mm. She wasn't taking away their rights anywhere mm. else. She was mm. still letting them have rangatiratanga, but what you're doing is saying that we, Māori and Pākehā, all alike, 
have to come under the same rules. We're not even any more special than anyone else. No one's saying that. Mm. Well, actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. A, because that's what I believe the treaty means. And second of all, it's implausible that it could have meant anything else. And thirdly, as I've challenged hang on, you... So, hang on, so it's implausible <laughs> it could have meant someone else. You do realise that at the time, mm. you know, there were 80,000 Māori, there were 2,000 settlers in New Zealand. They were in a, in a position of power. Mm. I mean, if aliens turned up today and said, hey... Uh, you know, we want you to sign this treaty where we're all going to be equal and um, you guys can keep your land until you sell it to us. Do you think that we'd sign that? Well, it might depend. I mean, I think it's a slightly crazy analogy, but if there were other aliens mis, uh, milling around and threatening, and if we were all fighting each other and had just seen mass death due to civil war, then actually we might. Um, let's talk about your welfare policy. You want to see those on supported living benefits return to work sooner. Mm. Um, you've spoken specifically about stressed and people who are drug addicted. What changes do you want to make here? Well, I'll just give you the example. There are currently 4,000 people on benefit uh, due to stress saying that they cannot seek work. 70% of those people have been stressed for over five years. Now, I ask the moral question, uh, should the government continue to give people cash if they have an addiction, if they are unable to seek help? Uh, I actually think what we should do is say, look, you've, you've got to start seeking help. You, it's mm. that simple idea I raised at the beginning, the idea you can make a difference uh, in your own life. And the, set, and the next issue is, well, what, what actually happens if you don't comply? Well, eventually you go back on to job presumably seeker support. You, presumably you'd have to get off the drugs to be able to get back to work. So mm. what's your plan to set up, mm. you know, I guess places that, you know, night stays, mm. week stays, mm. drug rehab? Yeah, so we have a separate policy around uh, mental health and addictions, which mm. was called MHANS, and I think we could make more uh, treatments available. But the point of this policy is How much do you reckon it cost? Uh, possibly a lot, but yeah. I think, the, the, you know, obviously we need to make the mental health dollar go further, not just for people on benefits, but actually for all people who are suffering there. But that, in fairness, that's a separate um, policy area where I think we've got a bit to offer. This policy specifically is if you are offered help, if you're offered counselling and you refuse it, well, I think you've made your choice and what we will eventually do is say, look, we'll, we'll keep giving you the money, but it will come in the form of electronic income management, a I plastic card that, that, that yeah, can, can only be used me for about that? Purposes. So how will you do it? Mm. Will it yeah. be someone standing at the supermarket? Will it be a card? Will it be online? Mm. So bear in mind that this is done for youth beneficiaries today. Um, so this is not actually new. It's actually a policy that Labor have had for the last six years. Um, it's been done in Australia. And what it's really saying is, we're always going to give people the, the means that they need to survive and get by. We'll pay your rent first, okay. we'll pay your groceries, so what's on we'll, the give naughty you list? we'll give you financial What'll counseling. What will be on the naughty list? Um, will, well, will they be allowed to... Is there anything in the supermarket? Uh, well, you're not going to be able to buy alcohol with it. You're what about not, condoms? Um, I actually think that that is a medical, uh, um, I guess, provision. So, condoms, yeah. tick. Eyeliner? Um, bear in mind, can we just go back a step? You, you can get, what... 12, 12 boxes from family planning for about three bucks, so it's not a bad thing. Um, look, eyeliner, I would say no. I mean, a lot of people get by uh, without eyeliner. I'm one of them. What about people going for job interviews? You know, you have to look presentable. Yeah, I mean, fair enough, but have a look at the kind of people. Look, look at Dress for Success. I mean, you know, there are people out there trying to help each other. I think. When you're in Tiara at all, there's no Dress for Success up there. In fact, there's not a lot of job access. 
anyway. Mm. But I'll tell you. Do they judge you on whether? Do, do they judge you on your eyeliner there, though? Hey, they've got high expectations in the east, east coast. I have, you know. I'll, I'll um, take your word for it. This is a true story. I've seen heaps of 65 plus New Zealanders at my local Faroes with a trolley full of Chardonnay and getting 496 bucks a week in super. Will you be applying that electronic monitoring to them too? Uh, well, no, because everybody who's lived in New Zealand for the last 50 years has grown up with a basic contract that you pay your taxes for 40 years or so, and at the end of that, uh, you're eligible for New Zealand superannuation. Now, if you want to break that contract, you can, um, but you've got a couple of million people who have spent 50 years uh, building up that expectation. Okay. It seems unreasonable. What about winter energy payments? If you don't need it, should you receive it? No, and our policy is that winter energy payments should be reserved for people with a community services card. Um, we're not going to give a, an extra payment um, to people who are millionaires. Uh, and I know you might say, well, hang on, but you're not going to means test super. Sure, the difference is that one of them is 50 years of expectations. The other one is, frankly, something that Labor has come up with in the last few years. And I can tell you, to fix this economy, New Zealand is going to have to do much, much better um, than it has over the last six years. You know, government's been doing less. What about... Families and businesses have been doing more with less, and that's okay. got to change. What about the gold card? Are you a supporter? Um, look, I think it's something that people enjoy having. I, I do question some of the transport subsidies, you know, helping millionaires go so to Waiheke. Um, but it's not something that we're uh, interested in dealing with right now. You won't get rid of it? No. So you can be a 65-year-old earning a good wage, cashing in on the winter energy payment, taking a free... Uh, well, actually, free, no. If, not if, under you, but under well, national? Sure. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you free, should interview Chris Luxon okay. if you want to talk about well, national. Well, he won't come on the show, funnily well, enough. Well, that's not my fault. Taking a ferry trip uh, to Waiheke 50 bucks a go now. You can um, have your taxpayer Chardonnay like and your picnic bag. I, I, I question that. But, but honestly, you want to be ru rummaging around and auditing the young mum's grocery bags. I mean, how fair is that? Well, it's actually not about money in that instance. It's about how many more kids, I mean, one in eight kids in this country is born onto a benefit. So you think about the people who wait, save and sacrifice. Some people can't have kids at all. And yet uh, we find that people go on a benefit, have no means of supporting themselves beyond what the government gives them every fortnight. And they are continuing to have one in, a, one in eight kids in this country. This is about saying well, if you want to What about the benefit that, for the kids then? Well, that's exactly the beauty of electronic income management, is that it's a way of ensuring that the resources go to the kids. Right. Uh, if Winston Peters is needed for the coalition, uh, the leader of the National Party has this morning said that he would work with him. How are you going to work with Winston Peters? Um, well, at, at some distance, I suspect. But I think what's really important that's come out of this morning is that you've now got Acton National saying mirror images of the same thing. We both made the pretty obvious observation that uh, you've got to respect the result of the election and, and work with the parliament that's elected. It would be extraordinary if political candidates were, were saying that they won't do that. That's, that's what Donald Trump does. Um, so we accept the election result, number one. Uh, we make it work as best we can. But clearly what Acton National are both saying is that they're strong preference is to work with the other. If you want change, then you've got to vote for Act or National. If you want real change with Act's ideas turning up the volume around the Cabinet table, then you need to give your party vote to Act. Isn't it important that party leaders are able to be in the same room together? I was at the minor party debate the other evening and there was nothing between you and Winston Peters. When was the last time you met or had a conversation? Uh, look, he hasn't. he's not in Parliament so a long time, I guess. And, and would you reach out to him now? 
No. I mean, I'm focused on how do we get people to give their vote to act so that we can get the real change and help New Zealand overcome some significant challenges uh, that it faces. So, you know, and, and you were you were talking about this off here before, you know, you're, you're all excited about someone who chances are won't be in Parliament. I'm very concerned about the future of this country and particularly how we fix the economy after endless waste by Grant Robertson. We have to make sure that we've got a stable, united government, and that is active national around the cabinet table, putting in place a work plan to turn this country around. That's Tēnā what we koe. need. Ko tā te tangata ki tahe, ko te tuku i ngā pōti e rua, tētehe ki te pāti tōranga pūpae ki a koe, me tētehe pōti arohi hoki. Nō reira, kia rite tātou. Ka nui te mahi ki te puna whakatonga rewa me, te māngai pāho. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with more next week. Nō hōra mai.